Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon now, I guess. Good to be here with you. Like Duncan said, we're originally from Texas. We live in Mexico. We have a ministry base there. And as I was getting up here, I felt like the Lord said that somebody needs to hear that we have two small children and they're with grandma right now, but that it's possible to do missions with kids. It's possible to do ministry with kids that the Lord gave you your children. He knows you have children and you can do what the Lord's calling you to do as a family. Josh and I met in university. We met part of the same college ministry, got to know each other. And he knew what the Lord had for him that he when he was age nine, the Lord said, you will be a missionary. When he was 18, he moved to Sudan. When he was in Sudan, the Lord said, son, I'm calling you to return home to go back to university. Out of obedience, he returned to Texas. We met there in university. I knew what the Lord had for him, the churches and things that he had in Sudan. We met, we got married. The plan all along was to finish school, to move back to Africa, to do the work that the Lord had called us to do. We had that as our goal, as what the Lord was speaking into our lives. And during that time, our pastor at church put us in as the missions pastors, and we started taking teams of college students, teams from our church into Mexico. In 2008, the drug wars really broke out along the Texas-Mexico border. It became very, very, very violent. Lots of people fled, lots of missionaries left. And the church that I grew up in, the pastor's wife, before they were pastors, had dealt with a lot of fear. And she went through deliverance and she said, Lord, how do I keep my freedom? I am just so terrified that I'll fall back into that fear that I have lived in for so many years, the torment that I've come out of. And he said, the key to your freedom is Psalm 91. Psalm 91, you abide in the shadow of the Almighty, and I am your protection. I am your covering. You do not have to fear. And so she wrote a book about the revelation that God gave her, and we got it translated into many languages around the world, and Spanish is one of them. And so we had a donor that graciously gave thousands and thousands of these books, and we got to go into these border cities and encourage the people and say, you do not have to live in fear. God is your protection. The safest place to be is in the will of God. He will protect you. And we were given favor to go in and minister to the police and go into the prisons. And we distributed 400,000 of these books into Ciudad Juarez, the city in Mexico across from El Paso, Texas. And we just kept going. And when we had free weekends and spring breaks and summers and going and ministering in Mexico and spending time in the summer going back to Africa and and Josh graduated in December of 2013. And then in January of 2014, we were taking our very last trip to Mexico before we moved to Kenya. And we were there and we we're ministering to a group of youth. They were having a huge youth event with about 500 young people. And we were there in this meeting and I was just sitting there during worship. And it was like a bolt of lightning, electricity hit my body. And the Lord said, I have a word for you to release. And I said, okay, Lord, what do you want to say? And he said, I will tell you when you get up in the front and you're holding the microphone in your hand. Okay, Lord. I go up. I don't speak the language at this time. I tap the pastor on the shoulder. I say, I think that I have a word that the Lord wants to release. Can I say it and will you translate for me? He says, yes. I begin to speak. I don't know what the Lord's going to say. And I start hearing out of my mouth 
that the Lord loves Mexico and that he is calling his Mexican bride home and that he's going to bring a revival to that nation unlike anything that's ever been seen before, that it'll be different from what he's done in other places in the world and that it'll sweep north, south, east, and west and that he's birthing a fire in Mexico and that it'll come out of this young generation and it doesn't matter who is in power, what politics may be, but that the young people will arise and it'll be a revival for the history books. And this word released into this room... And after I finished, I walked off to the side, and I was just thinking about what the Lord had said. And this young man walked up to me, and he said, do you believe what you said? And I said, yes, yes, I do. And he asked me again, do you believe what you said? And I said, yes, I believe it, or I wouldn't have said it. That night, I was thinking about the word. I was praying about the word. I was talking to the Lord. And he said, the first time that man asked you if you believe what you said, he wanted to know. He said, the second time he asked you, I was asking you and I want to know, do you believe what you said and are you willing to move to Mexico and spend your life helping to birth revival in Mexico? And I said, Lord, I am willing. But I don't want to tell my husband that we're not moving to Africa. If this is you, you have to confirm it through him. So we went home. We continued to pack up our apartment and get ready to move to Kenya. And after a few days of being home, Josh came to me and he said, come with me to the coffee shop. The Lord's told me what this year is going to look like. We go to the coffee shop and we sit down and he looks at me and he says, we're not moving to Africa, we're moving to Mexico. The Lord's told us to go to Reynosa, to plant churches to have a school of ministry, that revival's gonna break out on the border, it's gonna sweep north, it's gonna sweep, sweep south, and it's gonna engulf North America and South America. And I said, okay. <laughs> I said, yes, this is what the Lord spoke to me, that we we're to move to Mexico. And so we went home, continued packing boxes with our minds completely shifted from Kenya to Mexico. We're getting ready to go. We call the one and only pastor that we know in all of Reynosa, a town of about a million and a half people, and said, the Lord's told us to come to Reynosa. And so we get ready to go. And a few days before we leave, we receive a letter from the organization that funded us at the time. And they said, we think you've gone too far with Holy Spirit. We think your theology's flawed. You have a choice. If you choose... We will pay for you to go to seminary to correct your theology and continue to fund your ministry. Or you can go with Holy Spirit. And so we looked at each other. We looked at the letter. We responded and we said, thank you, but no thank you. We bless you, but we are going to Mexico and we are going with the Holy Spirit. So we packed up our car and we drove to Reynosa, a city I'd never been to. And no money, no signs of money coming in, just what little we had in our bank account. And the, we, the pastor called us and he asked when we were on our way, is there anything that you need? And Josh said, well, actually, we need a place to live. We don't have any money to pay rent. We have nothing. And he said, let me see what I can do. He calls us back and he says, okay, I've talked to an American doctor that owns a medical clinic in Reynosa. He lives in the United States and just comes down a couple of times a year to provide free medical care. He said that you can live in the back of the clinic for free. 
So we go and we arrive and it's in one of the poorest neighborhoods in the entire city. This little bitty clinic with only a gate on the front for security, no doors, dirt road, dust billowing in, no kitchen, no nothing, no, just an empty room. We have our air mattresses, a camp stove, <laughs> well, only what we've packed in our car. We move in and we just start spending our mornings praying and worshiping and asking the Lord for direction. And we start going door to door and meeting our neighbors and evangelizing the community and start inviting people to come to our house and come pray with us and to hear the word of the Lord. And just slowly by slowly, we start ministering and just living this life in Mexico amongst the people. And, and I start going to the little store and just buying four eggs for breakfast to cook on our little camp stove because we don't have a refrigerator to store anything in. And just living and going to the store and learning Spanish because we don't speak the language and living life day to day. And we went to harvest school in Africa, and one of the books they had us read was Reese Howell's Intercessor, and it just talks about how you live your life as the people live, and you pour out your life into the nation, and as you live your day-to-day -day life, and you experience the same struggles that they experience, that you are pouring your life as an intercessory prayer into the land, and that God starts giving you a God-given authority to speak into the land and to speak into the people. And when we moved to Reynosa, it was one of the most violent cities in Mexico. From Reynosa to Nuevo Laredo to Monterrey was known as the Triangle of Death. More people were killed there than in any other place, including Afghanistan at that time. Wow. And we just constantly just prayed and sought the Lord and asked for his direction. And we had our neighbors start coming to us and they said, we honor you, we respect you, we appreciate you. You live here amongst us. That when we're hot, you're hot. When we're scared, you're scared. You hear the gunshots like we hear the gunshots. At that time, they were setting buses on fire and blocking the roads and having gun battles in the street. And you'd be awoken during the night with sounds of gunshots. And I would walk to the store in the morning and there'd still be blood on the streets from the battles that had happened the night before. And we were able to share with them how we were able to live with the faith that God would protect us and not live in fear and that we knew he had sent us to this place and he had sent us to this people and that he would protect us and that he had a plan for our lives and a plan for their lives and that he would do what he had for Mexico in this time, in this generation to birth revival in this land. She's amazing, isn't she? Oh. Uh, just pray with me for a minute. Holy Spirit, we welcome and honor that you are here. We don't have to invite you because you're already here. But we honor your presence among us, oh God. We honor your presence among us, great Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, that you would crash in today through your word, that your word would be a fire that you set within our bones, oh God. That you would pour out fire upon the altars of our hearts tonight. That we are today, that we would be filled with your fire today and with your glory in Jesus' name. Whew, amen. <laughs> wow. Oh, it's such an honor to get to be with you today. I just really want to thank so much the team from Catch the Fire, Duncan and Kate, Murray and Ash, and the whole, whole team. Your hospitality has been amazing. It's so wonderful to finally get, John and Patricia, I love you guys. It's awesome to see you all. And it's so good to be here in this house. We feel like we know you already. 
uh, from knowing Duncan and Kate and, and Murray and Ash. But thank you so much for opening your doors to us. Thank you for opening your, your house to us. It's such a great honor to be here. I want to share with you this morning out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. It's, this is one of my, my favorite passages in the Scripture. It's one of my favorite passages, passages to share on. And I want us to go through this. I want to share some testimonies. And I believe the Lord wants to release impartation on us tonight, on t- today. I keep saying tonight, today. In this, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 9, it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having in his hand a burning coal that that he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell the people, keep hearing, but you do not understand. Keep seeing, but you do not perceive. I didn't grow up in a church that taught about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a church that was conservative, to say the least. And I was thankful for that foundation because from that foundation, I truly learned scriptures. I can honestly say, I think I've heard every book of the Bible taught through verse by verse. Uh, from the t- when I was from the time I was a child, it was a church that I grew up in that loved and honored the Word of God, but did not know the Spirit of God in the way we know Him now. That the Spirit was not welcome in the Holy Spirit was not welcome, nor was He given liberty in that church. So I grew up in a church that taught you couldn't hear God's voice, that you could that God could speak through Scripture, but God was limited in that He could not speak to you audibly. And if you were hearing audible voices, you probably need to see a psychiatrist because there may be something very wrong. I didn't get the memo. I was nine years old, sitting in a Sunday school class. My wife, as my wife was saying, I was sitting in a Sunday school class, missionaries from West Africa who were working in a country called Equatorial Guinea were sharing. They were Bible translators, translating the Bible into a language called Fong. And they were there, and they were sharing this, uh, the stories about where, the, where they had been. And I found out later, many years later, they were secret charismatics that somehow slipped under the radar of our particular group. And they were secret charismatics. And they were sharing about unreached ethnic groups, unreached people groups that had never had the gospel before. And I sat there, nine years old, and I'm thinking, hearing these stories, they're telling stories, they're trying their best to capture nine-year-olds' attention. And I'm sitting there, and I'm hearing their stories, and I'm like, wow, someone really should do something about that. And I heard the voice of the Lord, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, my son, you're going to be a missionary. You're going to go around the world. You're going to take the gospel to unreached people groups. And I was shocked. I never heard his voice before, but I was just so amazed, and out of my heart, I just said, Lord, whatever you, whatever you want me to do, I will go. Wherever you call me, I will go. And that seed was planted inside my heart, and I said, Lord, I will go wherever you lead me. 
So I never knew, I never doubted that I was called to go and take the gospel and reach places. So I began through high school to cry out to the Lord and say, God, my heart was burdened for the dark places. I would begin to say, Lord, I would hear about missionaries in Sudan or hear about missionaries in the Middle East. And I would say, God, can I please go there? If you count me worthy, can I go to a place that no one else wants? Lord, if you want, if you've called me, I want to go not to build on another person's foundation. Lord, send me to places no one else wants. And I would cry out to the Lord. I was in Kenya, first mission trip I took, I was 16. And there I met missionaries who'd been missionaries in South Sudan. They were Kenyan missionaries, and they shared about the bombings, the torture of the believers, the horrible things that they'd seen happen, the churches bombed and all, and how they'd almost been killed more times than they remember. And they were speaking, they were really quite traumatized looking back. But they were speaking and they were saying, where we are is hot, dangerous, and it's, they said, it's the worst place we've ever been in our lives. And these were Africans who were raised in villages, and they're like, this is the worst place we've ever been. And in my heart, I was like, God, can I please go there? And you know, God honors those prayers. If you'll begin to cry out and ask him to send you to dark places, he really will. Uh, <laughs> some of you are like, whoa, I'm going to be careful what I pray this morning. But as I began to pray, that, I said, Lord, can I go? The Lord opened up a door a number of years later after I graduated from high school, and the Lord opened up the door for me to begin to work in South Sudan. And the first trip I made to South Sudan, I went into this remote uh, village. We had to fly in through multiple small prop planes to get to the nearest landing strip. We landed in this village. There was a team of us. I was going kind of in training. And they went, and we went to this village, and they, they sent us out to multiple small villages. And my team, we went to a village where they, the LRA, which is a rebel group, had come through and killed a number of people a few weeks before. And so they were, it was the Christian rebels that had come through and killed people. So naturally, talk about church hurt. Uh, talk about people who were offended with Christianity. The village was not, particular happy, ha not particularly happy we were there. The militia in the area, they came and met us and they said, listen, you may have permission to be here from the chiefs, but you need to know something. We want nothing to do with your gods. Nothing to do with your God. We have our own gods. We have our own way of believing. And they said, we want nothing to do with your God. And if you are preaching here, you, we, we will kill you. Welcome to missions. And I'm going, I don't want to die a martyr just yet. I just got started. I'm like, this is a little, uh, Lord, can I have a little longer, please? And so we're walking along in this little remote village. And I know the, the young adults group, you guys heard me share this the other night. But we're walking around this village, and I'm just praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, they don't prepare you. What do you do when you're told you can't preach? So I'm walking along, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all of a sudden, the will of God was, was done. The answer of God came to me in the form of a drunk soldier. Drunk out of his mind, he's strapped up, ammo straps around him, AK-47 in his hand, pointing it at everybody, walking up, and he says, Khawaja, white man in Sudani Arabic, he's like, come pray for one of my wives, she's dying. And he was armed, so I really didn't have a choice, so I said, yeah, I'll go, and myself and an interpreter, we went with him to his house. We walked into this little mud hut, and I was not prepared for what I saw. I walked in, and this woman was dying of, of meningitis. She was laying on a little grass mat completely naked. The witch doctors had burned her with hot irons to try to drive out the demons. She had a death rattle sound. Dying people make a very distinct sound. If you've ever been around someone who's passing away, they have a, a distinct way they breathe that it's, you can tell they're very close to death. And her eyes were glassed over. Her eyes were open, but you'd wave your hand in front. There was nobody at home. And I knelt down by her, and all I could think was, I have no idea what to do. 
There's nothing, I'm not a doctor, I don't pretend to be a doctor, I don't know what to do for this lady, there's nothing I can do. And I just laid hands on her, I began to pray, and I said, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And as I'm laying hands on her and praying for her, just kneeling down, myself and the interpreter, we're praying, and I'll be honest, it was not a prayer full of faith and power for the hour. It was just simply a prayer of, Lord, I have no idea what to do, do something. And as I'm praying that prayer, she sits up. I almost fell over, almost passed out. I had never seen anything like it. And all of a sudden, I mean, you just picture this. We're in a dark mud hut. It is not lit. There's just a little bit of sunlight. I'm praying for this dying woman. Then all of a sudden, boom, we're looking face to face. My heart is going boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, I have never seen anything like that before. And the woman is looking at me thoroughly confused because she's never seen a white man before. And we're looking at each other. And we're both and just, no one can say anything. And she finally says, am I dead? I don't know if she thought I was an angel or a demon or what a demon sent to carry her away. She didn't know what I was. And so she's standing there. We're looking at each other. I mean, picture this. A white guy. You've never seen a white man before. And one with a white beard shows up in your house. I mean, the poor lady was terrified. And I was too because I'd never seen a miracle before. And we're looking at each other. And I said, Jesus healed you. And she said, oh, where is he? I want to thank him. She never, she knew nothing about Jesus. So she gave her heart to the Lord. The soldier, her, her husband, uh, he had passed out in the corner by that point, drunk. And he opened his eyes and he saw his wife walking around in her right mind and healed completely with clothes on and normal, getting, serving us food. And he jumps and he screams. He said, my wife's alive, my wife's alive. And he runs out the door, going into the village saying, come, my wife's alive, my wife's alive. They brought babies with meningitis and sick people they brought to us, and we began to pray for them. And that was my very first experience with church planting. <laughs> so I guess you could say, whew, I was bitten by the bug of church planting. And I knew that from that moment on, I'm like, there has to be something more. I'm like, I don't care what I may have been taught what the Word of God says, I begin to read it with fresh eyes. And I begin to see in Scripture that there was more than I had ever imagined, a depth of the Holy Spirit that I could never have imagined. The Lord took me after that to northern Uganda. I went to northern Uganda. There was a great revival happening in the northern part of Uganda. People were being saved by the thousands, leaving witchcraft, burning great uh, meetings where they were burning barrels of witchcraft paraphernalia and people receiving the Lord. It was a supernatural, sovereign move. A missionary that I knew had been serving there, a doctor that was serving with a ministry. So I came to that ministry just to, just to visit them and learn. And I came there and I began to encounter people for the first time in my life who were completely unashamed of the Holy Spirit who were completely wild, charismatic, Pentecostal believers. And I'm watching these people, and they're praying in tongues. They're worshiping. I didn't know it was tongues. I thought it was their own language. I'm watching them. Miracles are happening in these big meetings. We're going into the IDP camps, internally displaced people, the refugee camps. We're going and ministering to people. People are being healed, and miracles are happening. And I was so excited about the one little miracle I had seen, and I'm watching these men, and all of a sudden I realized this is their normal it was not my normal. That was abnormal to me. And I realized the Lord was bringing a paradigm shift to me and showing me what the new normal was meant to be. So I began to watch these men and how they would worship and how they would pray. I was in the dormitories with these African brothers from the villages, some of them without any uh, formal education, that would get up at five in the morning and they'd begin to pray in tongues. And Africans, they don't pray in tongues quietly, especially at five in the morning. They get up and they begin to pray, oh, shokorobo, and flip on the light, turn on the candle or kerosene lantern, and they're in the name of Jesus, socorobo kaya. And I'm waking up from my deep slumber, my American mind, 
And I'm watching these guys, and they're praying with power and passion, with tears in their eyes. Lord Jesus, we ask you to come fire. And the fire of the Lord is coming, and the glory of the Lord is in the room. But I want to tell you, at 5 in the morning, whoo. <laughs> ah, shalalalakaya. I'm watching these guys, and I'm going, they've got something I don't have. I'd be like, Jesus, hallelujah. And I'm like the, the, the lone white guy there, and I'm like, I cannot pray like these guys. I don't know what they have. And I'm watching them, the miracles that are happening in their life and in their ministry. And finally, I just, I say, what do you have that I don't have? And one of the brothers said, brother, you need the fire of the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> ah. And I said, I don't know what that is, but I want it. So they laid hands on me and I felt fire come into my body. Uh, I felt fire come into my body and I began to speak in new tongues. I thought God had given me their tribal language. <laughs> that was how new I was. I knew nothing about prayer language. I, so I would go out and for like three days I was going to people on the street thinking that they would understand. They, they, I found out it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it does and I've seen it work that way. But that was my Bible college. That was my Bible school the school of the Holy Spirit in the bush that the Lord taught me in that time what it meant to really follow after him. In this in story of Isaiah, you see the prophet Isaiah, he goes into the presence of the Lord in this vision and he has an encounter with God. And it says in the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah was a good king that ended badly. It's a sad story of Uzziah. But this King Uzziah, in the year he died, Isaiah saw the Lord on a throne above it all. I am American. I love my country. I'm also Mexican. I love my Mexican country as well, my adopted nation. But I want to tell you, I want to speak to America today. I want to speak to our, my, the American bride of Christ today. It doesn't matter who sits on the thrones, the little thrones of man. I've seen this gospel work in every type of nation you can imagine. I've been in more than 50 nations around the world. I've seen this gospel work in Buddhist nations, communist nations, Hindu nations, Islamic nations, Catholic nations, atheistic nations, godless nations. This gospel works, but it only works if we begin to lift up our eyes from the little kings on the thrones that are like Uzziah, Maybe they're good, maybe they're bad, but we look our eyes above the ones who sit on the little thrones and see the king on the throne, high and lifted up, and he sees this king of glory on the throne, and he sees and encounters him, and he sees the angels around him, the seraphim. This word seraphim is a very, it's a difficult word for them to translate. It literally means burning ones. When I've studied it in the, in the, in the commentaries, it means burning ones. Can you imagine being Isaiah or being some of the other prophets from the Old Testament and the New Testament? They're trying to write down in man-made languages what they're seeing in heaven. And so Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord and he sees these burning beings with six wings covering their faces, covering their feet and flying. And he sees these burning beings and he's like, they were burning. They were on fire. They were glorious. But I want to tell you, this is the type of people God is raising up. God desires to set us on fire so that we burn with his glory. 
And as Isaiah looked, he saw the burning ones there. And it said, the train of the Lord's glory, his robe filled the temple. And the voice of him that cried, the angels cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it said, the threshold at the temple shook. And Isaiah cried out. He said, woe is me, for I am lost. In this translation, the King James Version says, I am undone. But I, I prefer the Spanish The Spanish version says this, Ay de mi, yo soy muerto. Woe is me, I am a dead man. I think that is the most accurate of the translations. Woe is me, for I am dead. I am a dead man. For my eyes have seen the king. I want to tell you, every time we encounter God, something dies in us. Something dies. Leaving that experience, I came back to studies. My wife said, I'm studying in the U.S., And I want to tell you, I was in a school, a Bible college for a denomination. I was studying business and I was studying uh, political science and pre-law. And I'm there and I'm dying on the inside. I I thought only Africans spoke in tongues. I'd never met white people that spoke in tongues. I didn't think there were any in America. That's how I knew I was to all this. And I came to the school and someone said, you need to come to this revival meeting, this meeting with a guy named, uh, I I called myself a Baptocostal. And they said, you need to come to this revival meeting with this man named Randy Clark. I didn't know who he was, but they said it's at this Baptist church in Abilene, Texas. I thought, okay, Baptist church sounds safe, sounds good. Yeah, I was in for a surprise. Those of you who know the ministry of Randy know how much of a surprise I was in for. So we show up, this little group from our, our Bible, or from our college, show up, and we sit in the far back. We're watching. It wasn't like any Baptist church I'd ever been to in America. There were people falling on the floor. There were flags being waved around. There was a lot of things happening. It was exciting, a huge church. And I walk in, I'm like, I'm going to just sit back here and observe from a distance. And I'm standing and sitting at the back, and I'm watching all of these things going on. And my eyes are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I'd seen things like this in Africa, but never people shaking and falling out and screaming. I'm like, is this demons? Is this, what is this? And as I'm sitting there judging everything that's going on, my hand begins to shake uncontrollably. I look down, and I'm going, I am not doing this. And it, it freaked me out absolutely terrified me and the whole line of people I'd come with. They're all like looking down at me like that. And my hand is shaking. And then the other hand begins to shake and everything's shaking all of a sudden. And and Randy's up there ministering and I could not stop shaking. And I'm like, did I get a demon? What is this? Because I'd only ever seen demonized people manifest and shake like that. And I'm like, what is this, Lord? Is this a demon? And the Lord speaks to me and says, this is not a demon, this is me. I'm like, well, what are you doing? I mean, everything was being shaken. And the Lord said to me, you have become hard, dry, and religious. And I'm going to shake it right out of you. (laughs) And I I could not stop shaking. Oh! And therein lies the humor of the Lord. I had sat in the back so I could stay away from it all. And then all of a sudden, Randy begins to speak and say, if you're manifesting the power of God, come up here to the front. So I have to walk past all of my friends and crawl to the altar. And I encountered the fire of God that day in another way. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how many experiences you've had with God in the past. God, is his mercy is new every day. And he calls us to greater and greater things. So Isaiah, he cries out to the Lord and he says, woe is me for I am dead. I had an encounter with the Lord during that time. 
where the Lord spoke to me. It was when, when Randy prayed for me. And I said, Lord, I could not stop shaking, and I was actually afraid that I was going to die. And I said, Lord, I, I, I cannot support this anymore. I, I feel like I'm going to die. And the Lord said, good. Comforting words, isn't it? <laughs> I need you dead. Unless you die, I can never and I will never use you. So I, lay, I just shook. I said, Lord, kill in me whatever you need to kill. And I'll tell you, something got killed in me that day. Because I was raised up to new life in Christ. Whew, Jesus. Huh. I had a friend in Mexico where we lived, as my wife was saying, there's a lot of violence and a lot of people from very, very violent backgrounds. A very good friend of mine now used to be one of the main leaders for the organized crime for the mafia in that region. Uh, he controlled, uh, he was the, the boss for an entire, entire region. He was, he, nothing happened without his go-ahead. He was a very powerful leader, multimillionaire, had multi-million dollar houses in Texas and in, Macau, in, Texas and in, in Mexico. And uh, this man has now become a believer. But this is how he became a believer. I feel like I just need to share this story with you. He was, his wife had no idea what he did. And they'd been married for years. And his wife finds out what he'd done, all the women he has on the side, and all the things he, he was doing. And when she finds out, she actually committed suicide. It's a horrible story in that regard. She actually killed herself. And the family, it all came out, all these things. He, he got deported from the U.S., got put in jail, and then ended up going back to Mexico. And his wife is committing, has, has just committed suicide after he's out of jail. It's a horrible, horrible story. And he's there in the funeral home, and they're about to bury the body. They're at the funeral home, and the family, everyone has said, it's your fault she's dead. It's your fault. There's children. He's got like 25 children by multiple different women, and is there saying, we hate some of his children. The children from that wife are saying, we hate you. This is your fault. And he's like, I know it is. And he's there just completely broken, and he's standing there over the body of his dead wife, He'd been through all these things, been in jail, been deported, been sent back, couldn't go back to the U.S. He's looking at the body of his wife. And all of a sudden, he feels this sharp pain in his chest. And he, his eye and his vision blacks out. He blacks out completely, can't see anything. And all of a sudden, he looks over to the side, and he sees a king, Jesus, riding up on a white horse. And he'd never read the Bible. He was a, he was a Catholic, but he'd never read the Bible. And he saw this king with a sword in his hand, a crown on his head, on a white horse, riding up. His robe was dipped in blood. He said he never read the book of Revelation. But he said the vision I saw when I read Revelation a few years later, he said it was the same Jesus that I had seen in the vision with the robe dipped in blood. And the king rides up to him on the horse and he says, my son, you have tried to pay for your own sins, but do you not know that I have died for you? And you can receive me today. He comes out of the vision and he knows he's been born again. He didn't have language for it, didn't know what that meant, but he knew in that moment that he had truly been born again. And he turns to his family, and they, they were shocked because he had been out of his, he'd fallen down, and he comes back and he tells his family the vision, that man is a pastor now. One of our, one of our good friends, I actually married uh, did his wife, him and his new wife's wedding. And the power of the Lord fell on that man. We've been seeing God moving in incredible, incredible ways. There was one time, I just want, is it okay if I share a few more stories? I got like 45 seconds, but I'm gonna, <laughs> I wanna share a few more stories. There was a, one time we were doing a medical clinic in Reynosa, uh, where we live, and this little boy, 
uh, had been brought in by his mother, and his mother um, was like covered in tattoos from the saint of death, and she was a, probably come from a very, very difficult background. Uh, she was not a believer. She brings her little boy in. He'd never been able to speak. She brought him in for something I'm sure completely unrelated, because we were not, um, it was, the clinic didn't advertise bring the mute, and, and we have doctors for that. No. So she brings him in, and uh, some of the people are ministering to him, and they start to pray for him. And all of a sudden, as they're praying for him, she screams and looks at something that no one else can see and looks at her son, screams, and she falls over into a chair. I mean, no one even catches her. She just falls into a chair, just looking at, in, in, in almost like terror, at her son. And then her son begins to speak. He has to speak full sentences in Spanish. He could probably before that speak maybe one or two barely distinguishable Spanish words. And all of a sudden he begins to speak you know, in complete sentences. And she's just standing there and she can't, she's like hyperventilating. She cannot even, even understand, you can't even understand what she's saying. It takes a while for her to regain her composure. Her son's over there just blah, 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 talking away. And we ask her, we're like, so what happened? And she says, I was looking at my son and as you were praying, an angel walked through the wall. Not through the door, through the wall. Walked in through the wall, a huge angel walked in, walked over and he touched my son's lips. And the moment the angel touched my, lip, my, my son's lips, my son could speak. And I, that's why I fell into the chair because I've never seen anything like that. The woman gave her heart to Jesus that day because of what Jesus, because of what Jesus had done. So in the story, the angel flies to Isaiah. Isaiah says, woe is me, I am a dead man. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He says, my tongue and my lips are unclean. He had a problem. Maybe in your life or in my life, we have something that's holding us back. Maybe a problem, maybe a vice, maybe an addiction, maybe whatever it may be. Maybe it's the way we talk or the way we think. And that needs to die. But it will die in the fire. And it'll die when we are honest before the Lord. And as Isaiah was honest before the Lord, he said, I am a man of unclean lips. Immediately the answer of the Lord came, and it was the angel, the fiery burning one, took the coal from off of the altar, and he came and he touched his lips. And it's interesting that he didn't exclaim any pain when the fire touched him. It was more painful to stand before the presence of the Lord in his sin than it was to be healed of the sin. And in the moment where the, the fire touched him, the healing came. And the restoration came into his body, into his life. And you know, who the Lord sets free is free indeed. Because Isaiah, his tongue went on to declare the word of the Lord and write uh, one of the largest uh, portions of prophecy in the Old Testament was through the prophet Isaiah. Who the Lord sets free is truly free. And the fire of God touched him. And then, I'm going to close with this, he began to hear. It's a fascinating encounter because up until that point, he could see angels, he could see the Lord, he could see glory, he could encounter, he was in the atmosphere, but he had not heard the voice of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Until the fire touched him. But when the fire touched him, he began to hear. And what did he hear? This is my interpretation of this passage. I believe he heard a conversation between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is before the Jews even understood really what the Trinity was. The Trinity was speaking among themselves, saying, whom shall we send? The Father saying to the Son, whom shall we send? And who will go for us? And out of that place, Isaiah grabs a hold of the heartbeat of God. The love language of God is obedience. And as he heard the heartbeat of God, as he heard what was on the mind of the Father, he said, 
I'll go. Send me. Many people are waiting for a booming voice from heaven saying, go ye therefore into this place. But we need to know that we just simply need to come close to the fire. And in the fire of God, we will hear the heartbeat of the Father. And the heartbeat of the Father out of that place, it'll give us the ability then to say, I will go where you send me. There is no sacrifice. Serving Jesus is not a sacrifice. Serving Jesus is not a sacrifice. It is an honor. Getting to go to dark places, whether it be across the street or across the world, it is not a sacrifice. It is the greatest honor we will ever have to follow our king into the dark places. But we need to have our eyes and our ears opened to know the will of the Father. And we need a touch from the fire so that we will hear the voice and the heart of our God. It's one thing to hear his voice, but God calls us deeper still. He calls us to hear his heart. I'm going to close with this story. I was in, I was in a town called Miguel Aliman. This is a small little town in Mexico. We were doing a crusade, and there was a number of people there. We were ministering, and this man came, came up to me, and he said, he said, Pastor, can you pray for my vision? He said, I'm blind in one eye. One eye was completely blind. The other was mostly blind. And he had to come up and with help. And I laid hands on his eyes. And as I prayed for his eyes, I began to minister, pray in tongues. And I heard the voice of the Lord. And the Lord said to me, he said, which is easier for me to do? To heal the eye of a blind man or to open the eyes of a blinded nation? That's when we had just moved to Mexico. And I said, Lord, I guess for you it is the same. You know how we, we sometimes rank miracles. We have the big miracles, re revival. Then we have like a, a blind eye or a dead raising up here. And then we have healing a headache. To the Lord it's the same. I never knew that. I never thought of that. But to the Lord it was the same. And I said in that moment, Lord, it's for the same for you. And the Lord said, you will see both in this nation. I took my hand off his eyes. I had been completely white. It was healed instantly. He opened his eyes. He said, I can see, I can see, I can see. And he, I, everyone was rejoicing. He grabs my hand. He said, can you pray for my wife? She's deaf. Wow. And I knew the Lord was up to something. And he called me. I called his wife over, brought his wife to me. And I laid hands on her ears. And I began to minister and pray for her ears. And the Lord asked me a question. He said, which is easier for me to do? To heal the ear of a deaf woman or to heal the ears of a deafened nation, deafened by idolatry? And I said, for you, it is the same. He said, you will see both. I took my hands off her ears, and she screamed, I can hear. She felt fire go into her ears. I can hear. I can hear. The last part of this passage, Isaiah hears the Lord say to the people, you hear, you hear. And this is how the Hebrew is, is worded. It says, you hear, you hear, but you do not understand. You see, you see, but you do not comprehend. We need the fire. We need his glorious presence to make our ears to be able to hear and to make our eyes to be able to see. We need his fire. And I want to say today there is a call. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. There is a call in the house of the Lord today for his, uh, him to open eyes and ears. To open eyes and ears to hear. And then there is a commissioning on this house today. There is a commissioning for people today. I want you just fast to lay hands on your eyes. And say, Lord God, touch, my, touch me with your fire. Touch my eyes. Touch, your eyes. touch my eyes with your fire. That I would see your will. That I would see people the way you see them, God. Touch my ears, oh Lord. Lay hands on your ears. Touch my ears with your holy fire. That I would hear your voice. But more than that, that I would hear your heart.
And Jesus, we ask you today for a wave of your spirit to crash in. That you would crash in your spirit today into this place. If you feel the call of the Lord and you feel the Lord is saying to commission you today, if you feel the call to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire, run to the altar today and the Lord is pouring out a baptism of fire upon you today. Come and cry out to the Lord. If you need to kneel before the Lord, if you need to fall on your face before the Lord, come and cry out for the presence of the Lord to come. I feel there are people here that have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire. And the Lord is baptizing you. (sighs) Baptizing you in fire today. If you've never spoken in tongues before, if you've never received that baptism of the Holy Ghost, just right now, raise up your hands to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, say it with me, baptize me in the Holy Ghost and fire. Baptize me in your spirit, O God. I receive that gifting of tongues, the fire of God on my life. In Jesus' name, kurobosharabah.